Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and we thank and praise you for the privilege of being able to assemble together in your name. We ask that you take each part of the service and Lord, that you would allow us to unite in heart and faith. And Lord, that you would teach us from your word, that you would challenge us how to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and... uh, Let's go ahead and just turn to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And uh, if you like the theological terms, we are pneumatology, lesson 3, the study of the Holy Ghost, studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and of course, Uh, If there's any doctrine today uh, that is, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, emphasized above and beyond in certain groups, it would certainly be the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But just because somebody puts on a suit and a tie or picks up a Bible and says this is in the Bible doesn't mean it's there. Amen. Uh, uh, My favorite little saying is, if everything that everybody said that was in the Bible was actually in the Bible. There would be no library in the world big enough to contain the book. Uh, People like to put things in the Bible that aren't there, and of course they like to take things out of the Bible that are there. And I don't know about you, but doctrine is... um, Uh, Well, it's exciting to me because it's what we believe. It is the foundation. It is our identification doctrine. Uh, I I don't get this. You cannot separate doctrine and practice. Uh, Missionaries call all the time and say, well, I'll send you a doctrinal statement. And I've just gotten to the point where I say, you know, brother, I'm not interested in your doctrinal statement I want to know what you do. Uh, Simply because you can say you believe something, but when you finally get up enough energy to do something, when you that's what your real doctrine is. And a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit uh, determines, touches everything we believe in practice. And uh, the Holy Spirit... The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit seals us. Uh, if you, how many of you have ever dealt with preserves? Canned, home canned peaches or green beans or carrots. Uh, I'll tell you what, my mom put up peaches when I was a kid, about 120 quarts a year. And uh, they never made it all the way through the winter. But she trained us early. You took the lid off, unscrewed the ring. And, of course, being boys, you'd never use the can opener. It was always the fingers. Amen? Uh, Just peel that lid back and bend it in half and hand it to Mom. But if you didn't hear a pop, out in the snow they went. You know why? Because they weren't properly sealed. Uh, botulism may be good for your face, ladies. I don't know anything about that. 
but if you ate two bites of botulism-tainted peaches, you'd be dead before the sun came up the next morning. Uh, you know, I, I just don't understand this putting poison in my system kind of thing. The Holy Spirit seals us. You see, He saves us, but He keeps us saved. That's why you can't lose your salvation, because it's not yours to lose. Amen? And now we deal with one of the more controversial parts of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we start here in John, Matthew chapter 3. And in those days, verse 1, came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judah, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, many came out to see him, verse 6, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, for repentance. You can tell John the Baptist had studied long and hard after Joel Osteen and had learned how to be kind and considerate of all who heard him and very careful uh, with how he addressed uh, his spiritual elders there. And uh, look at verse 9. He goes on, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this is John the Baptist. He is explaining baptism. He says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. He said, now, let me ask you a question. Just because you got wet, does that mean you're more repentant? Everybody go like this. I mean, it doesn't change. What's on the outside doesn't change what's on the inside. How many of you have ever had someone, don't you judge me by the outside. I know what's in my heart. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you that? You know, that's absolutely backwards of what that verse is saying. Now, God told Samuel not to judge a man on the outside only. He said, you've got to get God's judgment of what's in the heart. But you know something? You and I, uh, we're not God. The only thing that we have to judge is what's on the outside. You see, if the inside's right, the outside ought to be right. 
Uh, you can lie and paint up the outside really nice and leave the inside all messed up if you want to. But I'll tell you what, the local church answers that if you're around any time at all. You can see through the veneers. It doesn't take long. But John was saying, listen, I baptize with water unto repentance. You repent in your heart and you give public testimony by going through the waters of baptism. Now, did John the Baptist understand all that was going to happen with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? No, he really didn't. But we'll get to this in a little bit. Lord willing, I don't take too long on the introduction here. Is The simple fact is, once I've gotten saved, I need to let people know that I've been saved. I have no excuse for looking back to the finished work of Jesus Christ and not making the connection down into the water, the death of Christ, under the water, the burial of Christ, and out of the water, the resurrection of Christ. I mean, there were some people who tried to make that connection if we get to Acts chapter 19, and, and it didn't fly very far. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is that John said, if you are getting ready for the coming Messiah, if you in your heart have made that decision to turn from your sins and your religion, by the way, does that sound unusual? I mean, that is the message that we have preached here ever since day one. If you want to get saved... You got to surrender everything about you. Your sin, your good works, your religion, and trust only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, when John the Baptist was quote, is quoted here in Matthew chapter 3, he didn't know who Jesus was at that point. He had not met him, Jesus had not come. He was not revealed to him, and John said, I'm out here baptizing because people need to be ready when he comes. And by the way, anybody who was baptized by John the Baptist later believed on Jesus Christ. Did they have to get baptized again? Absolutely not. They just had to change their perspective. Amen? Am I in a Baptist church tonight? Amen? That's all they had to do. Was they realized, hey, wait a minute. Now I understand. And so, but John explained something. He said, listen, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's somebody coming after me. I don't know who he is yet. He's mightier than me. I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. Today, we would say, I'm not worthy to shine his shoes, maybe. And John said, he's going to do two things. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and he's going to baptize you with fire. Now, how many of you have ever, well, you don't have to admit it, turned into TBN and heard some preacher on there, you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. They say it all the time. 
uh, I want to challenge you, you cannot have both. Uh, you can't have both. It's one or the other. And the next verse would have been clearly understood by everyone who was in John's hearing. It says, whose fan is in his hand. Now, how many of you feel like it's a little warm in here tonight? How many of you feel like it's cold in here tonight? How many of you think it's just right? Okay, and the rest of you don't care, right? Brother Zach, would you mind turning that fan up? It's a little warm up here. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, that's not the kind of fan John was talking about. He was talking about the threshing floor. When the wheat would be cut off the head, you would have the wheat and each kernel wrapped, I think, in seven or nine layers of chaff. Uh, I have to check that from somebody from Kansas. They would know, right? And uh, uh, what you would do is you'd cut the heads off the stalks and they would drag a rake around there and it would roll the kernels out of the husk. And then you have a mess. And so you needed to purge or clean the floor. You got out a fan and you begin to make a breeze and wave that fan and someone would take a shovel-type instrument and heave up into the air the mixture of wheat and chaff and the wind would blow the chaff, which was weightless, down to the end of the threshing floor and in the center of the threshing floor, when it was thoroughly purged, would be a nice heap of wheat. And so when you were done... You'd have a pile of wheat here and a pile of chaff over there. Now, chaff is worthless. In fact, uh, I'm not totally sure about this, but I do understand that if you just leave that out there and it gets wet down in the middle of the chaff, that it, like hay, will, uh, is capable of spontaneous combustion and in danger of burning down the farm. So you can't just leave it there. And if that doesn't happen, every rat in the county is going to come and live in it. Uh, you got to get rid of it. So you'd have a bonfire, and you would burn the chaff so that it wouldn't cause any further problems. And the wheat you would put into the storage bin. The, the old English word in our Bible is the garner. John used that illustration to explain the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was gathering the harvest unto eternal life. And it's interesting that John used the phrase unquenchable fire because in your Bible you only see that phrase connected to a place called hell or actually in its truth, uh, do you think there's a reason why God called it the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20? You see, that's where you get baptized in fire, is in the lake of fire, just like you get baptized in water in the lake of water. And you get baptized of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit put you into Jesus Christ or into Himself. Amen? Uh, the Holy Spirit 
baptizes us. It's the wheat into the garner, eternal life. It is the unquenchable fire, the lake of fire. And John says, my baptism is a testimony of what has gone on in your heart. And if you're willing to identify with the coming Messiah, you will be baptized in water. If you are unwilling to be baptized in water, you will then be baptized by the same one that cometh after me in fire. You will have the choice. You will get one of those two baptisms. It is the difference between salvation, baptism of the Spirit, and damnation, baptism of fire. Now, of course, we believe that if you understand your Bible correctly, that your understanding of one passage will not contradict your understanding of another passage. That you'll be able to trace this all through the Bible and it will fit. And so, that's part of what we're going to do. I want you to turn with me to um, uh, John chapter 20. And uh, we've gotten John's testimony. You can read the other uh, passages that are there. But let's go to the Gospel of John. And Jesus has a little bit to say about this. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Acts as Luke quotes our, our Lord and Savior. But John chapter 20... In verse 21, it says, Then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. In fact, the, um, I believe it was uh, several hundred years later, some Orthodox monk came across this passage and see, said, See there, the church has power to forgive sins. Is that what Jesus said there? Again, you can just go like this if you're afraid to say no. Uh, Jesus told his disciples to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and we'll kind of put this all together, I believe. Starting in verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Let's just skip down to verse 8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jesus had told the disciples, 
you wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. That promise of the Father is going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John had spoken of. You say, but isn't that a contradiction? Well, God has drawn lines in the Bible. The day of Pentecost was not the day the church started. Of course, that's another sermon, and we'll get to that in due course. Uh, You can't add something to something that already exists. Somebody said, that's very childish theology. Well, Jesus said, except you become as little children, I I qualify. Amen? Uh, I'll just be childish in my theology. The day of Pentecost was the day that the transition was made that all believers had the permanent indwelling of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How did we know that happened? Why, the apostles spoke in languages, did they not? God gave them supernatural phenomena that attended that day. And by the way, you will not find a single breath of fire in all of Acts chapter 2. Uh, look there very careful. The tongues were not made of fire. They were like as a fire. The fire that was talked about this baptism here is in Revelation chapter 20 in the lake of fire. And just as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is eternal, so the baptism of fire is eternal. Jesus is talking about our eternal destinies. And by the way, Only He sits upon the throne determining our eternal destiny. He will be the judge at the uh, judgment seat of Christ and at the great white throne. It will be Jesus that sits upon that throne and He will judge us by one thing. Did you do what I said in my book? Did you believe what the Bible said about me, Jesus? Did you believe what the Bible said about you, sinner? Did you believe what the Bible said about the payment for your sin? Only me, Jesus. That's where we're going to be judged. You say, well, what about all the other rotten things that people have done? Uh, God's not going to be worried about... Oh, no, 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 just wait a minute. The Christian is going to be judged for their service. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Read all of Revelation chapter 20. The dead are going to be judged according to their works. If you want to try to work your way to heaven, I've got some bad news for you. You're going to end up in Revelation chapter 20 before the great white throne of Christ. And He's going to judge your works. And everything that you've ever done is going to be written down in His book. Tell you what, I'm glad through the blood of Jesus that He went through my book and He blotted out every entry paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. How many could say praise the Lord there? You see, Jesus said you've got to wait until this happens. And so, 
on the day of Pentecost, something happened. The disciples began to speak in other languages, and we don't have time to go through all of the languages and everything that was there, but uh, let me explain something to you. Every time you see the gift of tongues in the Bible, they were speaking in languages that people in the room already understood. Uh, that was given evidence in the Acts chapter 2 when they said, How hear we every man in the language that we were born in? How, how does that work? Somebody said, It's a miracle of the hearing and not of the speaking. No, the Bible said it was a miracle of the speaking that these ignorant, unlearned Galileans could speak in all of these languages that they would have never had an opportunity to learn. Now, I've had the privilege of reading many of the early founders of what we now call the modern-day charismatic or tongue-speaking movement. And as people were trying to explain that, they would say, listen, in just a few years, we're going to close all the language schools and we're going to send everybody over the, all over the world, and they'll be able to speak to everyone in their language because God has revisited Acts chapter 2 today. Now, if Benny Hinn got up and said that today, it would just be another thing to laugh at him about. Because everybody would know that cannot be true. It is not true. It doesn't happen in those churches that whatever they're doing there is not a real language. You say, how do you know that? Well, you get two or three interpreters standing up and they'll interpret the same whatever they do and they'll get completely different answers. That tells us that it is not objective, that it's totally subjective. If it's objective, guess what? This book has been translated into many, many different languages. And I've had the privilege of sitting down with people from all over the world and reading the Bible and oftentimes I'll get a Bible for them. I remember years ago a man was from the Georgian Republic. Has anybody ever seen the Georgian alphabet? It is a unique alphabet all to themselves. I mean, it just looks like uh, uh, somebody got a hold of your typewriter and took all of the symbols off and assembled them into an alphabet. It is a very unusual language. And he was sitting there reading all these little circles with lines going through them and different things. It did not look oriental at all. It, it, it looked Georgian to me. I mean, that's what he said it was. And so he would read it and I'd say, now this is what it says in English. And he'd go, yeah, that's exactly what it says. You see, that's objective. We can check it out. But what goes on today is subjective. You have no way of knowing well, how do you know that? Well, that's what I feel. Well, I'll tell you what, you can feel an awful lot of things that aren't good. And you can feel good about an awful lot of bad things. And you know what? You can actually feel very bad about good things. How many of you have ever woken up after surgery? And the doctor's standing there smiling at you and said, It was a success. And you're going, It didn't feel like a success. I think I'm going to get sick. I mean, uh, that's normally, you feel very bad about a good thing. So don't depend on your feelings. You've got to go back to the Scriptures. Amen? And so as we work our way through here, 
Jesus said that this was going to happen. It did happen on the day of Pentecost. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6, and this will be one of our first times that we, uh, uh, we're going to try to fit this thing in and see if it works here. And uh, we start in verse 1 of Romans chapter 6. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, the word baptism is in here. Let me ask you a question. When were you baptized into Jesus' death, and who did it? When was your flesh made dead to the life of God, to the life of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, when did that happen? I've had some people tell me, well, preacher, that happens when you get into the baptism. You are buried into Jesus' baptism. I mean, into Jesus' death when you go under the water. And I got a question. Can you show me one verse in the Bible where God gave that power to men? Do you get saved when you get wet? Or is it possible that John chapter 1 verse 12 might kick in here, but as many as received Him to them, gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. How many of you believe that you're totally saved and on your way to heaven before you get wet in the waters of baptism? If you believe that, say amen. Well, then what Paul is obviously talking about here is the work of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation, and he uses the word baptism because that is the proper biblical word for what the Holy Spirit does at the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can we get an amen on that? Or is it oh me? I'm not quite sure. You say, what do you do with one Lord, one faith, one baptism? Oh, I love that verse. You know what? There is only one baptism at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And it's in that tank right behind me, right there. That's the only baptism we do. I can't baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's God's work. In fact, we've made a mistake. We've had a couple people say, hey, I know I'm saved, and we've taken them and put them down in the water. And then a couple of years later, they begin studying the Bible. The Holy Spirit actually begins peeling off those layers of deception and self-deception. And they come back and say, Pastor, I don't think I ever really was saved. I didn't understand what I did. I just prayed a prayer, but now I know that I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and get and, and get really saved. You know what we do? Uh, one Lord, one faith, 
You didn't have it when you went in there the first time, so now you got to do it again because it didn't count. Uh, sometimes people come and they'll say, Pastor, I've been saved and, and my uncle was a Nazarene preacher and he baptized me and, and that ought to be good enough. And they say, well, here, here's our problem. is we're, we're not against the Nazarenes in particular, uh, we're, but you see, the authority is in this book called the Bible. And it's through the local church. And unless you have both of them in perfect alignment, you do not have scriptural baptism. It's not that we rebaptize. We don't believe in rebaptizing. It's what it was that you got wet the first time and it didn't count because you didn't have a proper biblical authority, which is a Bible believing church, a church that shares our doctrine. And when you come from a church like that, we've received membership from churches all over the world. You know what? We asked some questions. I remember one time a lady said, I was baptized in a Baptist church, and that ought to be good enough preacher, isn't it? And I said, well, let's check it out. Let me call your preacher up. And she got me the number, and I called him up, and, and the preacher said, hello there, this is Pastor so-and-so, and he gave his name, and and I said, brother, I said, we got a lady that says she was baptized in your church about 20 years ago, and we just want to know what you believe about baptism. He said, that's easy, brother. As long as you got wet after you got saved, we call it baptism. Does that answer your question? I said, it most certainly does. And I went back to her, and I said, now, is that what you believe? And she said, oh, no, pastor, I don't believe that. I said, I don't either. I can't find that in the Bible you, you've got to have a proper authority. And if you're that careless with baptism, uh, I, I think they advocated their authority a long time ago. We, we need to do this again to make sure it's right. Uh, you see, when the Holy Spirit baptizes you, He's never missed it. I don't know if you were, I think it was a chapel speaker talked about baptism one time and he baptized a guy and his feet come out and the preacher got up and said, Foul! Over again! Retake! You know, and uh, uh, we believe that you need to be baptized by immersion, that you ought to get all the way under because that pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you this, it's a whole lot easier doing it in our new baptistry that we've had for the last couple of years than it was in our horse trough that we had for all them years before. Uh, how many here were baptized in the horse trough? I know Brother Franz, Stephen, Rachel. Let's see here. Yeah, Miss Yedwiga. Brother Doug was baptized in the horse trough. And uh, I'll tell you what, we need to start praying that we get to use this thing a lot more than we have in the past. Amen? But it's a picture the one baptism for our church, the only thing that we can do is water baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you have to go directly to God and get. I can't get it for you. I mean, I remember one preacher joking about he was a Protestant and somehow he had ended up at a public fair with a garden hose. And he's going to baptize everybody, you know. Uh, but it doesn't count 
if there's not faith first. Amen? And it doesn't count if it's not the Bible way. And so we see here in Romans chapter 6 that it works. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I mean chapter 12, I'm sorry. And verse 13, this is a verse that is a favorite of the universal church people. They come up and they, they want to quote this verse. And they say, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into how many bodies, preacher? One. Okay. No problem. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one what? Spirit. Uh, If it's the Spirit that is doing the baptism... And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. Guess what? That verse makes perfect sense. Just the way it is. Because there aren't different kinds of salvation. But just to tweak them, let's go down to verse 26 and 27. Amen? And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now... Ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, does ye include we? No, ye doesn't include me. See, I'm glad you are all here. I'm glad ye are here tonight. I'm the preacher. I have to be here. Whether anybody shows up or not. So I'm glad that you are here. Because you're not under an obligation. It's a free will choice that you make to come to church. And, and Paul here says, listen, we're all saved exactly the same way. By the same Holy Spirit. But until we all get to heaven, we live in individual local churches, of which you at the church of Corinth are one, and I'm not a member of that church. I'm the founder of that church, is what Paul was saying. And he was trying to help them live for the Lord in the way that he said. So, we see that in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was evidenced by speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 10, when the first Gentile got saved. By the way, he was from the Italian band. Amen. I always say that. I just found out two years ago that Montoro really isn't Italian. My grandfather grew up there, but his grandfather grew up in Spain. That's where the name comes from. Uh, But anyway, Cornelius was of the Italian band. And what happened? Peter was preaching. And Peter was trying to explain to him how to be saved. And Peter wasn't sure of what he was really doing there other than he knew how to preach Jesus. And while he was still preaching, that's one of the reasons I know Peter was a Baptist. He just didn't believe that anybody got it until God stopped him. Amen? And they began to speak in tongues just like they, uh, the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. Peter went, said, listen, we can't argue with God. The Holy Spirit is in these men. You know, that's never happened again like that. You know Why? Because if this book and what it says isn't good enough for you to believe that the Holy Spirit's in you, you didn't get Him. You didn't get saved. 
You see, the Bible is very simple. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus said, I'm going to leave the Comforter. He's going to be in you. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to teach you. He's going to do all these things in your life. Therefore, I, all I have to do to know that I have the Holy Spirit is simply obey the Word of God. God will always do what He said. Amen? If you don't hurry up, we're never going to get out of here tonight. You see, the baptism of fire comes from the same person and the same authority that gives us the baptism of the Spirit. That's found in Revelation chapter 20. The speaking in tongues was a sign of the work. And the simple truth is, once God proved that Jews are saved, He proved that Gentiles are saved, He doesn't need to prove anything else. And so, therefore, we believe we're saved, not because of what I experience or what I feel, but because the Bible says so. I don't know how many people over the years have come to me and said, Pastor, I'm having problems with my salvation. I'm just not sure I'm saved. And, and I'll tell you, it's a natural thing. I think almost every person that has ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ has had some doubts at one time or another. You know how simple it is for me as a pastor to say, now wait a minute, I want to know what happened in your life. You see, there's two, two reasons why people doubt their salvation. One is the Holy Spirit of God trying to let you know that you're only faking, that you never really believed in the first place, and you need to get saved. The other one is, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, has allowed some sin or something into your life that has separated your fellowship from God and you don't feel saved anymore. One of the things people often will tell me when we deal with this is, well, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to have peace and know that I was assured. I had one guy when I actually said, I just miss Jesus so much. He used to be in my life. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You can't miss Jesus Christ because He hasn't gone anywhere. The problem isn't Jesus. The problem's you. You see, that baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work that the Holy Spirit of God does the moment you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's work. That's what the Holy Spirit does the moment you are saved. He has just baptized you into Jesus Christ. You know, the best part is you never have to come up for air. You are immersed. You are sealed. And you will be that way until we enjoy His redemption in heaven. Now, i got three minutes on the clock. Let's run to Acts chapter 19 very quickly and we'll just finish this section. This is one of those passages that a lot of people just stumble a little bit at, but I hope we can make it very clear. In verse 1, 
Acts chapter 19, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he saith unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So as Paul was traveling, he met this group of men in Ephesus, and he knew them to be disciples by the way they carried themselves, the fact that they went out to pray. Uh, There were different things that they would do to identify themselves as disciples. And Paul said, something something doesn't taste right here. he said, have you received the Holy Ghost? And he said, well, we never heard of any such thing. What's the Holy Ghost? And he said, well, listen, what, what are you a disciple of? What did you get baptized? Well, John's baptism. Oh, okay. Now, here's the problem. We are now about 45, 50 years after the time of John. Jesus has already died on the cross as much as 20 years before, ascended into heaven. They did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in Him that should come. I want to challenge you, that's not good enough to get saved. If you're going to get saved today, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to know that God has a Holy Spirit that's going to live in you. And they said, okay, we believe. You know, they did exactly the same thing all the disciples did. There's only one problem. They were removed and they were after Jesus had already finished His work. Therefore, their baptism was not in identification with it is finished, the work of Christ, It was with He who's coming in the name of the Lord. That's not good enough to get saved. You've got to put a name on Him. His name is Jesus. He is the one that died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And this should end forever any debate over over the fact of what salvation is or what it isn't. There's no salvation without a personal faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And all God's people said. You see, that baptism of the Holy Spirit determines so much about what you believe about salvation. It is connected to every part. You see, I can't lose my salvation because Jesus did all the work. I can't lose my salvation because it's the Holy Spirit that does that miraculous work that I can't explain putting me, transferring my sins to His cross and my life 
my death to his death so I escape the penalty of the law and my life to his life, embracing eternity with Christ in heaven. You see, that happens because of God's work, not mine. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, I thank you for your word. I just ask that you administer it to our hearts. Lord, that there would be conviction of the Holy Ghost, that we would begin to understand and hold dear these doctrines. And Lord, those that are here tonight uh, that have walked with you, this is nothing new. Lord, I pray that it would encourage them in serving you because it's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about an individual. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. The work is His Spirit that saves us from our sins. Lord, we ask that if there be one here tonight that has never truly trusted You as their Savior, that even this night they would be willing to surrender their soul, their sin, their future, their good, their bad, and bring it all to the foot of the cross. And let Jesus do the work of saving them through His Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask those that are struggling with their faith and and trudging upon the weary ways of this world that they would understand, hey, it's not me keeping myself saved. It's Jesus. It's His Holy Spirit that lives within me. And Lord, let us cast our cares upon You because You care for us. We ask that You would give us grace to walk in the way that You would have us to walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll just have a hymn.